A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. that human beings are demons. No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think, no, he is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God by faith in His Son. Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17, that's all. Victory in the name which is above every name. No exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme... Right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Master's Dog, episode 101. I'm your host, Norm, The Master's Dog Dunham, a.k.a. The Evangelical Norm. So The Master's Dog is a podcast where I deal with false teachings, false doctrines, false gospels, false Christs, um, just a lot of false stuff, cults and so on and so forth. Um, started out as Faith and Beliefs Refuted. Uh, I started responding to the Saints Unscripted podcast, did a segment called Faith and Beliefs, where they started talking about and explaining the LDS Articles of Faith. And I wanted to jump in and respond to those to show how they don't line up with biblical Christianity. They kept going with their podcast beyond that. And so I said, no matter how many of these, I'm going to respond to every single one of these. So the podcast originally was called uh, Faith and Beliefs Refuted. And then as other false teachers and so on became, started to become more viral and, and stuff was going on and I wanted to deal with it and I wanted to find a place to do that. I expanded this podcast to become the master's dog 
dealing with all kinds of things where, as the quote says at the beginning of the intro video, where God's truth is attacked, I will not remain silent. So that's when the Master's Dog was born, started doing this. I've also formed a segment of this podcast called the False Teacher of the Week that happens every Saturday. Let's not bump the microphone. Um, Happens every Saturday. So those come out and I'm going through the introduction video um, and so on. So And I say all this because we've had a lot of new subscribers over the last month. So I want to give a little bit of a background for those who are new. Uh, Thank you very much for those of you who are new subscribers. If you are not yet a subscriber, would love it if you'd just take a moment right now to hit that subscribe button. uh, Share the video. Hit the like button because apparently that makes Mr. Algorithm. um, Algorithm. Send us off to other people so more people will find us and like us and we can get bigger and bigger and grow. And we all want to do that, right? So um, hit subscribe, hit like, hit share, do all that stuff to help us out on the podcast. So today I'm saying so a whole lot and I'm aware of it because we were just talking about it this morning with some other guys that do podcasts and our filler words. I'm trying to work on that, but at least I'm not saying um a lot, right? (laughs) Right, Ben? So here we go. Uh, This week we are back to our roots. We are going to listen to David Snell from Faith and Beliefs segment of the Saints Unscripted podcast. By the way, this is the only scripted segment of the Saints Unscripted podcast. And he's going to, last week they talked about what the Mormons believe a spirit is. And this week he's going to talk about why the Mormons believe God has a body of flesh and bone, which completely contradicts scripture and so on. But still, uh, so this week I'm, I'm going to try to let him talk as much as possible and get through as much as we can. But you know me, I can't help myself. Is he, if he says something that sets me off, I'm going to jump in and, and reply and so on. So with all that being said, here is David Snell from Saints Unscripted. Let's go. Hey guys, so when it comes to the nature of God, Latter-day Saint scripture teaches that the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also, but the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. This Okay, so one, we got to re- re- recognize that this comes from Mormon scripture. Nowhere will you find any of this stuff in the Bible, but I find it interesting to... Um, as you look at this, and it, it just struck me. I've read this verse before many times, dealt with it, talked about it, so on. But it, it's it's striking me now that the Father has a body of flesh and bone, the Son, and the Spirit doesn't. So, But part of Mormon teaching is that you have to have a body and go through, uh, you know, and gain your salvation in order to become a god so this would be but then jesus of course is an offspring of god um the question here is is the holy spirit a god who is a god and lived a life and and got saved or is he just a spirit child offspring of god and one of the We never really get, I don't know. That's an interesting question, and it's quite the rabbit trail, and I apologize for doing that. But again, that just struck me. What I wanted to say was, this is is LDS scripture, and as you notice, they're not going to really get any good defense, proof texts, if you call them, from the Bible. They're going to go outside of the Bible to find anything they can to kind of prove this premise that they're uh, putting forth so 
uh, long rabbit trail. Sorry about that. This causes a lot of non-Latter-day Saint Christians some heartburn because doesn't John 4, 24. Okay. This is the stuff that gets me heated. First of all, to say non-Latter-day Saint Christians is uh, repetitive because no Christian is a Latter-day Saint or vice versa. Mormonism, LDS, whatever you want to call it, is a, and I'm not going to call it a cult. It, it started out as a cult, very cult-like with the control issues and so on. There's still some cult-ish uh, features to it, but at this point it's grown so big that it, I don't know that you can, you can call Mormonism a cult as, in as much as you can call Islam a cult or Catholicism a cult. It is a pseudo, I don't even know if I like the word pseudo. It is a heretical false Christian sect. We'll call it that. But it is not Christian. They follow a false God, a false gospel, a false Christ, all from the imagination of a false prophet. And then to reduce this issue to say, oh, it gives them heartburn. This is, uh, we go back to the Calvin quote at the beginning of the intro video. God's truth is being attacked here. I would be a coward if I remained silent. It's not just that I have heartburn over this. I mean, that would be a burning in the bosom, right? That might, like, if I mean, if I had heartburn, I could attribute it to being true. This is an attack on the truth of God. This is a literal attack on the person and nature of who God is and what the Bible describes God to be. So this is heresy. This is blasphemy is what this is. So it's not just a little bit of heartburn. I mean, if it was just a little bit of heartburn, I would ignore all of this. But this is literally a group of people deceiving people by following after false gods and false Christ and blaspheming who God is. Is that a good enough reason to do this, David? Teach that God is a spirit? It's a totally fair question. Let's talk about it. It's not even the introduction. Wow, here we go. So before we get into this, it's important that you understand what Latter-day Saints mean when they talk about a spirit being, because different faiths have different ideas about what spirit is. Coincidentally... So again, that, that's a, that's a, that should be a red flag. When someone can go, well, our, what we define spirit is might be different than what the Bible or you or... or that's a red flag. When you are making your own definition for, for these things to fit what you believe and what your false prophet has presented to you, that should be a red flag. We have an episode on this topic, so check that out if you haven't yet. All right. That was last week's episode. You can check that out on mine as well. Last week, episode 100, uh, What is the Spirit? Right. So John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Many Christians read this verse as implying that because God is a spirit, he therefore cannot have a body. This is not an assumption, Latter-day Saints. Okay. Now, I would not say it means he cannot have a body. It means he does not have a body. And he has made it clear through Scripture the, and Jesus has made it clear, and we'll get there at the end if, if we get to the end, because I want to kind of hold off and, and tie this all together in, in one neat little bundle when we get to the end. And just there's a couple of things that need to be discussed. 
But it doesn't mean he cannot. I mean, God can do what God wants to do. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, we know has a body. But God the Father, now here again, we're, we're talking, they are, they're, when they say God, they don't mean Jesus, they don't mean the Holy Spirit. They mean what they would define as Elohim, or we would see as God the Father. Again, they, they are not Trinitarian, so they don't believe that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are one God or one being, or one nature. They, they're three persons with three natures, with three wills, and and so on. So when they say God, they are talking about the Father. When I say God the Father, when I say God, I could be, I, I try to differentiate who I'm talking about, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son has a body. So to say that God is spirit and he can't have a body, well, God the Son has a body. We know this. He has a he had a, a human body, a a frail mortal body. Um, now he has an immortal, uh, glorified body, resurrected body. Uh, we'll get more into a little bit of the other stuff of uh, you know the whole issue of body of flesh and bone and why they believe that God has to have that and how that makes it heretical that the absolute differentiation from what Mormons and Christians believe. But again, it's not that we say he can't have a body. It means he does not have a body, and there is a difference. It's make. We believe that unembodied spirits exist, but we also believe that embodied spirits exist. We believe that God is an embodied spirit. His spirit is clothed in an immortal, perfected, incorruptible, glorified body of flesh and bones. Let's take Jesus Christ as a case study. Before his mortal birth, we believe Christ was an unembodied spirit being. During his mortal life, he was an embodied spirit being with a mortal body. For the three days after his death, he was a disembodied spirit being. And after his resurrection, he was again an embodied spirit being, this time with an immortal body. The common factor through this whole process is his spirit. It's the same spirit through and through. Similarly, we believe God the Father is a spirit. Just as God is spirit, Daniel Peterson pointed out that every human being too is spiritual in his or her essential nature. For most Christians, humans are not exhaustively defined by their bodies. I am not my body. I have a body. And indeed, similar to John 4.24's assertion that God is a spirit, Latter-day Saint scripture even makes the simple statement, for man is spirit. Of course, this does not negate the fact that we also have physical bodies. It's simply an acknowledgement of that eternal identity that predates a physical body. Now, all of that said, some people also simply take a non-literal approach to John 4.24. So, he made the comment about eternal. One thing we have to understand, Christians will, will tell you that we are eternal beings. So, we are going to live from now till eternity. But we are not infinite beings. God is infinite. Jesus is infinite. Has, has existed from eternity to eternity. Man is not like that. We have a beginning point. There is a point in time in which men did not exist. There is no point in time among the expanse of time from, from vanishing point to into eternity that God did not exist. That the Son did not exist. That the Spirit did not exist. So to, to understand when we say something about being an eternal being, we are not eternal backwards. That would make us infinite. We are eternal. And they, last week he got into the, and I couldn't quite put it to words, but now this is where it's coming in. They talked about the whole issue of we were some kind of spiritual matter 
before we became spiritual offspring of our heavenly parents. And then, so we're in, according to Mormons, we would be infinite, which is impossible. Um, but God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, are infinite beings. We are eternal beings. We had a beginning point. We have no more pre-mortal existence. Our beginning point is a point in time when God creates our spirit at the point of conception, which is what I believe we, we start out as, and we go from there. Our spirit and our being is all knit together inside our mother's womb, uh, Psalm 139. Uh, and so going forward, we become eternal, that we will exist eternally, either heaven or hell, so on. And that's uh, another long rabbit trail. But Which you can also do if that makes the most sense to you. In many Bible translations like the NIV, the ESV, the ISV, the NASB, and the NRSV, this verse does not say God is a spirit, but rather God is spirit. The English article A doesn't exist in the original Greek, so both versions are acceptable translations. A. This rendering brings to mind other scriptures of similar structure that are clearly not meant to be literal descriptions of God's being, but rather are acknowledging some of God's attributes. For example, just earlier in this very chapter, we read that God is love. A few chapters back, we read that God is light. Is God literally love? Is he literally made of photons? Probably not. It's an idiom. You, sir, as an idiom. These are just... Okay. So, two things to address here. One, God is light, and it's not photons or what we physically believe is is light. The word says, in the beginning, God said, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. But he hadn't created photons or any of these things. He hadn't created the sun, the stars, the moon, anything to that effect. The light that emanated was God himself. It was his glory we see that expressed in other places in the scripture where his glory is defined as a bright light that, that couldn't be uh, approached, that can't be looked at far beyond what the sun is. God is light. So, yes, I would say God is literally light in that in the way that he has revealed it. God is the perfect representation of what perfect love is. His perfect attribute of love goes along with his perfect attribute of justice, his perfect attributes of wrath, his perfect attributes of, of, of long-suffering, of patience, of kindness, all the things, the traits of God. And yes, even the literal taking of the fact that God is spirit. That the fact that he can be everywhere at one time and not divided or he has no parts or passions. I'm getting more to the end of what I wanted to talk, end of the, the video that I wanted to talk about. So let's carry on. But yes, he is literally light and love. Ways to describe his loving nature or his desire to reveal truth to those in darkness. So if you take this route, God is spirit is simply an acknowledgement of God's spirituality, not a literal and exclusive description of his being. In the previous chapter, John 3, we see a fairly... I don't think you'll ever get that from putting the text back in context, that it's just a matter of God's spiritual spirituality. I don't think you can get that, putting the, the verse that he's taking back into context of what Jesus was talking about with the Samaritan woman. A clear example of this kind of interpretation as Christ talks about baptism. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Thus, newly baptized believers who are born of the spirit are described here as spirits. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus. He's not talking about baptism. This is, again, a mistranslation that, or a misinterpretation of what Mormons take this segment of Scripture to be. Jesus is not, when he's saying that uh, born of the water and the flesh, does not mean baptism. He's not talking about baptism at all in this. So you're, again, taking a Scripture out of, out of context, twisting it and eisegeting it into what they want to believe based on the imaginations of Joseph Smith, and they make a hash out of it. Does this imply that after baptism we shed our physical bodies? I'm melting! Melting! Oh, what a And again, these stupid little clips that they throw in here, they're, they're intended to make you laugh, to, to lighten the, the weightiness of the the topic that they're talking about and literally takes away, you know, if you can laugh it off that it, it helps to walk away from truth to make you laugh about it. that's literally, it's a psychological tactic that is used to make you believe the lie essentially. Of course not. The theologian Albert Barnes wrote that they are spirit in the sense that they become like the spirit that is holy, pure. Applying this interpretation to John 4.24, you could read it as, God is spirit in that he is holy and pure, and they that worship him must worship him in holiness and purity. The late... Okay, again, putting that back into context, I don't think you ever would pull that out of the context of the scripture. Non-Latter-day Saint Cambridge scholar Joseph Sanders offered another non-literalist interpretation. That God is spirit is not meant as a definition of God's being. It is a metaphor of his mode of operation as life-giving power. And it is no more to be taken literally than John 1.5, God is light, or Deuteronomy 4.24, your God is a devouring fire. And for what it's worth, this debacle over whether God is a corporeal material being or an incorporeal immaterial being was a hotly debated subject in the early centuries of the church. In fact, for a time, John 4.24 was used as evidence that God did have some kind of material body. The idea being that the Greek word translated as spirit can also mean air or breath, which is a material substance. Origen, who is known as the most important theologian in the early Greek church, staunchly believed that God was incorporeal. Okay, to, to make one point, Origen was African. This is a really poor uh, depiction of, of who Origen might have been. I'm I mean, in different conversations and different things, and that just stuck out to me on this picture and immaterial, and actually defends his views by arguing that John 4.24 isn't meant to be interpreted literally. Origen argues that if scriptural passages that describe God as spirit, light, fire, and so forth were literally understood, they would erroneously suggest that God is corporeal. Consequently, he advocated a metaphorical interpretation. Well, well, well. How the turntables... And despite his immaterialist views, he does note that how God himself is to be conceived, whether as corporeal and fashioned in some shape, or as a being of a different nature from bodies, is a point which is not clearly set forth in the teaching. See, and it's okay for me to say I disagree with Origen. I don't believe that. I think as you look at the Bible, it's pretty clear between, and we're going to get there in just a minute, between things that Jesus says and what the Bible talks about God, it is very clear that God is non-corporeal, 
other material, not immaterial, but other material, a different kind, a completely different kind of being than man. Completely different. Anyway, you get the point. Some Latter-day Saints go for a more literal interpretation, some a more figurative one. I think there's logic to either approach, so go with whatever makes the most sense to you. And if what makes the most sense to you is that God is... Excuse me. That's such a cop-out. I mean, literally, because the thing is, is you don't get that option. You really don't. Based on the teachings of Joseph Smith and so on, again, he does not give you that option. If you believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, then you can't. You cannot disagree and say, well, I believe God is immaterial or non-corporeal or whatever. Because then essentially what you're doing is you're throwing your prophet under the bus. And so David to say it's disingenuous is what it is. Again, it's the deception of the Mormon apologist or the, the missionary minded uh, attitude of they're, they're literally trying to gain converts. That's what this is all about. And my podcast without, uh, without shame is literally trying to one, stop people from converting to Mormonism and get people out. So I won't hide that. I'm not hiding that. They do because they make these things. Oh, where it's okay to agree to disagree. Joseph Smith does not give you the option. If you believe Joseph Smith was a prophet, he does not give you the option to, to believe one way or the other as a Mormon. Because if you believe the other, then you're calling your, your original prophet a liar and your entire faith system crumbles. Does it make sense? literally and exclusively an unembodied immaterial spirit that's fine too and we're happy to agree to disagree check out the resources in the description for more info all right so we're finished up with with david and let's let me just break this down here just a little bit in the last few minutes we have of the podcast so jesus made it clear when he's talking to the woman at the well he says god is spirit and those who follow him will worship him in spirit and in truth he is definitely talking about the nature and being of god later on when he and we see it in matthew when he is resurrected and he comes to the the apostles and so on and they're they're like are you a ghost this are you a spirit and he says feel me touch me a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have Okay, so unembodied, disembodied, whatever, to say that God is a spirit, Jesus makes it, he, he clarifies that statement with a later statement saying that spirits do not have bodies of flesh and bone. Okay, we see all kinds of things about the spirit of God. We see these different things about him being omnipresent and so on. Not the invisible God, that Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God, unable to be seen which takes out Joseph Smith's uh, whatever. You know, God has a glory, there is a light, there is all these things. So, but here's the bottom line. The reason why Mormons believe that God has a body of flesh and bones and why it's interesting that they come to the fact that the, the Holy Spirit does not have this, he, he is, he's not got a body, is they believe that God was a man on another planet who had to work out his own salvation, had to meet and live up to the expectations and the rules of his God and his uh, creator or his father in heaven and so on. And that God had to do it before him and that God had to do it before him. So literally they think God the Father, Elohim as they would call him and so on, 
was a human being on another planet that had a that sinned that lived that repented that followed all the rules of there and became a god became exalted and got to have his own planet and got to create his own things and make his own rules and do all these things and then that they also will be able to do that as well and that but here's 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 issues where does where does jesus fall in because we don't see where he had to work out his own salvation. If he is the spirit child of God, the father of Elohim, as we are, well, then he didn't live on another planet and he didn't, didn't do any of these things. So he didn't have to work out or was Jesus a sinner and had to repent and do all the things. So we're again, we're getting into the nature of Christ, the nature of God. The Holy Spirit will never be able to, if he's, if, if he is a God, and was on another planet or so on why does he no longer have a body of flesh and bone and if he never gets a body of flesh and bone like the devil and the demons do which they talked about in the last video why how does he ever get to be exalted or be an exalted child of god or so on so it leaves a lot of questions to be begged but literally what it is is the belief that God has a body of flesh and bones means that God existed, that there was a God before him who had a God before him and a God before him and a God before him. And God makes it very clear scripturally that there are none. Isaiah 44, Isaiah 40, all the different places where God talks about no God was formed before me, neither shall there be after me. Beside me, I know no God. So literally, if they're, if they're going to take these scriptures and stuff, then they have to call God a liar if they believe he had a God before him and a God before him and so on. Putting God into a body of flesh and bone makes him no longer an infinite being, no longer the God, the creator from eternity to eternity. He had a beginning point who had a beginning point and so on. So again, this is why we look at this and we go, Mormons have a false God. They are following after a false God, a false Christ, a false gospel, all given to them by a false prophet. And that's why I always beg you, my Mormon friend, my LDS friend, run from this false religion that cannot offer you salvation. Run to the true God, who is the only creator, who had no creator before him, and neither will there be after him. Come to a place where you are content with the fact that you know you will never be a God, and not want to be, but that you, will, you are a created being, created by God, given the right to call him father through the spirit of adoption, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and what he did, God incarnate did on the cross. And then we get to live with him eternally. No need to be a God of our own planet because we won't have that desire when we are in heaven with him, worshiping God for eternity. Run from the false religion that offers no salvation. Turn to Christ the, the risen Savior, God incarnate, lived a perfect life, went and died the sinner's death so that if you repent and believe in him, he is faithful to forgive you of your sin and will reconcile you to the Father um, and guarantee your eternal life. And as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.